The Holy Gospel according to St. John from the 8th chapter. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. At our Wednesday noon Bible study last week, we put all three of those scripture readings together on one sheet of paper so we could trace the narrative that flows through all of them. And when we did that, the first thing we saw is that God is continually making covenants with people. From God's covenant with the house of Israel as they were brought out of bondage to God's covenant in Jesus Christ for all people, God never stops reaching out. Looking at all three of those texts together, we also saw how human beings are continually breaking the covenants that God makes with us. God reminds Jews of that through the prophet Jeremiah in our first reading. And then Paul and Jesus speak about it in universal language in the New Testament readings we heard. But finally, when we looked at all three of these readings together, we came to the most important part, which is the way that God treats people who break covenants. To the house of Israel, God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. To Christians in Rome, Paul says, all have sinned, but all are now justified by God's grace as a gift. And to the people who believed in him, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In language that I learned in school, I would call that the meta-narrative of this whole ensemble of Scripture together. Because of the way that it gives context and meaning and purpose really to everything else, I remember an English teacher telling us that the meta-narrative is the big picture that unites all of the other smaller themes and smaller stories. And that's what I see here. If Martin Luther were among us, he might even sum up that whole meta-narrative in one single word, grace. When everything else is said and done, Luther said, the deep and abiding truth that unifies all other themes and stories of the Bible is the truth of God's grace given freely and abundantly to all people. For him, this discovery came about midway through his faith journey. But when it did, Luther's whole life was transformed. Through his own testimony, we learn that the first half, really, of Luther's 
life was dominated by a false narrative that was perpetuated by the church of his time. False narratives to this day are stories that have been shaped or altered to support a certain position. They may have elements of truth in them, but false narratives are chiefly a means by which people make a story say what they want it to say. And we all know that this exists in so many different ways. In the world of politics, we certainly know that much of what we call history is really narrative that has been shaped and altered by dominant cultures and by people who stand to benefit from the way that it is heard and understood. In Luther's case, the element of truth that was peddled by the church of power and influence was that all people are covenant breakers. In relentless ways, Luther and others were constantly reminded that they were sinners who fell short of God's glory. But then in the big story, the meta-narrative of God's grace was replaced by the church of his time with a new dominant theme that stood above everything else. Now, God was not ultimately a God of grace, but a God of severe judgment. With this God, sinners got exactly what they deserved. And not surprisingly, the church got exactly what it wanted. A whole group of people intimidated, afraid, to the point that they would do anything they were told to avoid punishment. Thankfully, Luther found the courage to do what is needed in every time and place. He found the courage to question, finally, that narrative, to challenge it, to challenge the thinking and the reasoning and the theology behind it. And he found the courage to open his heart and his mind to a possibility he hadn't ever really considered. And in a flood of light, he found the biggest truth about God that is there in the prophets and in the apostles and in the person of Jesus Christ. Reading St. Paul's declaration that we are all justified by grace alone as a gift, Luther wrote, I felt myself absolutely born again. The gates of paradise had been flung open and I had entered. Then and there, he says, the whole of Scripture took on another look to me. I'm inspired by that on this Reformation Sunday. And I'm motivated to go forth in the spirit of all of those who have dared to ask hard questions, to challenge the thinking and the reasoning behind the flood of narratives that are passed off as truth today. And when I see, say that, I'm thinking about all aspects of reform that's needed in our lives. Many of us know the ways that Luther challenged and questioned the biblical narrative and the theology of the dominant and powerful church of his time. But in these later years, we're also rediscovering the ways in which he questioned and confronted the false narratives that perpetuated so much social injustice and human suffering 
in his time. It makes me think about all the stories that we accept today as truth, stories about why people are poor, why they are unemployed, why they are incarcerated, why they are here as refugees. As Lutheran Christians, we should always ask, is the narrative that I believe grounded in grace, or is it shaped and altered by judgment? Does it compel me to reach out in love, or does it tell me what I want to hear in order to stay detached or to stay in my own judgment? And the same goes for all of the stories that we accept as truth about the people we dislike or the people we fear, whether it involves people of another race or another religion or another economic class or another political leaning. Lutherans should ask, does the story that I believe about that person or that group of people lead me to see them in the light of God's grace? Or does it lead me to gross generalizations and dangerous stereotypes that perpetuate divisions that already exist? And finally, the same goes for the stories that we accept about ourselves. I wonder how many of us here today accept the story that we will never be enough. I wonder of how many of us accept the story that we deserve to be treated poorly by others. How many of us accept the story that we are unworthy of love from other people or from God because of things we have said or done or not done, because of the way we see ourselves? If that describes you in any way today, let me be the first to say that the story you believe is not true. It's important to say that over and over again. And if any voice from within you or without says that it is, challenge and question that with all your being. I learned the importance of this early in my parish ministry when I visited a woman whose son had been uh, injured in a kind of life-changing injury in an accident. And when I went to visit her, what I learned is that the story she believed is the one which said she was responsible for that. She had not prayed enough. She had not been to church enough. She had not given enough. And now she knew that God was punishing her. To this day, she will talk about the incredible freedom that washed over her when we challenged that narrative together. And when we came to the conclusion that it was not true in any way, that is when the door flung open to hear the big story of God's grace again. The story which gives context and meaning and purpose to everything else. For me, that is what Jesus means when he says, the truth will set you free. And it isn't just the truth written in these scripture readings today. It is the truth embodied 
in Jesus himself, who comes still to us and among us as the fullness of God's grace. It is the truth we taste in the meal today, the truth we hear in the living word that says, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. And our worship services today that also include baptism and confirmation, it is the truth that washes over a child of God in waters of new birth. And it is the truth embodied in the touch of family and friends who reach out to bless young men and women today who are saying yes. Yes to this one great story of God's grace. With them and with all of you, I say, thanks be to God. Amen. If you have cards just for prayer, just hold them up and the ushers will come and collect them. <laughs>